I'll be yawning. Okay. Damn. Yeah. You can yawn. I'll edit that shit out. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's get started. Hi there and welcome to Old School. I'm Emily. And I'm Lauren. Thanks for joining us. This episode, we are covering the weeks of April 1st to 15th. So I kind of have a lot for April 1st. Should I start? My, my first one's 1984. Yeah, go. So April, hold on, let me just work my stupid thing. Drink it. I'm drinking a Michelada. What's a Michelada? I was going to ask you if they have these back there. Michelada is like a Bloody Mary, but with beer. I never heard of it. It's usually like a, like I use Pacifico. It's usually like a Mexican beer and then Bloody Mary mix. It's really good. Sounds interesting. Okay, go ahead. I like Bloody Mary. Okay, so for April 1st, 1984, it's sad. It's a, we're starting off sad. Uh, Marvin Gaye is shot and killed by his father. So uh, I'm a big Marvin Gaye fan, and I don't, I think I was like a teenager or my early 20s when I found out he was killed by his dad. So sad. But people who are listening who aren't 100 or aren't into music, Marvin Gaye was a famous <laughs> singer and songwriter for Motown Records and incredible, incredible number of hits to his name. So apparently he never got along with his dad and his dad was resentful that Marvin was the breadwinner and was close with his mother and things like that. Um, in August of 1983, Marvin Gaye moved in with his parents in the house that he bought for them to help out with his mother. She was recovering from surgery. He had begun using cocaine again that year. So he had, he had you know, gotten into drugs, gotten clean, and he was, unfortunately, he was relapsing. And this had made him kind of paranoid and he was paranoid that because he was famous, he might be targeted by like burglars or home invasion or something like that. So he, that Christmas, 1983, he gave his dad a gun. And this winds up being the gun that was used to kill him. So on the night he was killed, Marvin Gaye had physically assaulted his dad because his dad was screaming at his mom. They were arguing over something. And Marvin's mother was able to, you know, separate them. And she got, she got Marvin Gaye to go to his room. Marvin Gaye's father went to his, you know, went, got his gun, walked back to his son's room, opened the door, and shot his son twice and kill, it killed him. He was Apparently, Marvin's mother had testified in court that her husband had publicly stated more than once that if any of his children hit him, he would kill them. And that's exactly what happened. Marvin Gaye's dad pleaded no contest to voluntary manslaughter and was given a six-year suspended sentence and five years probation. So he never went to prison. And I've yeah, always thought that, that was weird. It's so weird. I don't get that. You murder somebody. And if you read the coverage of it, it's very sympathetic to Marvin Gaye's father. And I find that odd. I mean, I understand that Marvin Gaye was an addict at the time and he w- he had physically assaulted his father, but he wasn't in the middle of assaulting him. Like, right. it, like they had been... That left the room, got a gun, and came back. Right. History's been very forgiving of him it seems like and i i just think it's weird i mean he was old so maybe the judge was like ah you're you're old you don't you don't need to go to prison or whatever but i still think it's weird i mean i don't know i don't get it but there are a lot of tributes to marvin gay that came out after he died i didn't know this duran duran wrote save a prayer for marvin gay i saw you wrote that and i don't think they, they didn't write it for him he died like a day before they were at a concert and they dedicated it to him because oh. i saw you and I, I was like really because then i was like i thought that was about like a one night stand yeah because it sound, doesn't sound like so hmm. i looked it up and then i saw it and it said that they I guess whatever concert they were at, they were live. He had just died like the day or two before and they dedicated, they dedicated the song to him. Oh, well, that's nice. Yeah, because I was like, what is, how is that song? Yeah, I didn't get, I don't get it. I didn't hear it in there, but. 
And then Spandau Ballet's True. Again, I don't, I mean, I guess, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then, but the most famous one is um, the Commodores, post Lionel Richie Commodores recorded Night Shift. And that is a tribute to both Marvin Gaye and Jackie Wilson, which you covered, oh God, mm. second episode, who had, what a sad, sad story, who had taken those salt pills oh, yeah, on the yeah, stage yeah. in the uh-huh. 60s and then it had caused a heart attack that caused permanent damage. And so he was like in a care home and he died, he died um, in the same year that Marvin Gaye died. So, you know, but it wasn't, it was not, you know, it was from that long-term damage that, that had happened when he had the heart attack. But he, so because he had died that same year, they, they made that, they wrote that song for both of them. I love that song. It's cheesy, but I love it. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's 1984, April 1st, really sad, Marvin Gaye. Really sad. Yeah. Oh, and I forgot to mention his age because that was shocking too. Because, you know, when you're a kid, everyone who's an adult seems like an old fart, you know? I, I know. And now that we're old farts, <laughs> he doesn't, it doesn't seem that old to me. So he. Young. He was only 44. And now he's my age. Who knows what else he would have done? Like, what other, I mean, who cares what he would have, you know what I mean? It's a, but I mean, it's just really sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, really sad that he was addicted, you know, because maybe he wouldn't have gotten rough with his dad if he wasn't on cocaine. I don't know, but sad. Okay, so now I have a weird one. 1985, April 1st. Because I have like a weird personal connection to this. So April 1st, 1985, the villain of a Wildcats beat Georgetown Hoyas to win NCAA championships. I can't wait to hear your personal. (laughs) It's the dumbest, like one of those weird old family stories. (laughs) So uh, Georgetown was hands down the best team in this tournament. And starting in the early 70s, Georgetown started making a name for itself in basketball. So the team was led by Coach John Thompson. He was tough-talking and and intimidating. And he was kind of infamous for recruiting kids from the inner city to be on the team. So, And Villanova was not considered to be a contender. They were solid, quote, solid, but not spectacular. And Nova's coach was this guy named Rolly Massimino, who, (laughs) I mean, the name is perfect for him because he was like this little Italian-American stereotype. Just rolls off the tongue. Yeah, but he was affable and uh, he recruited good players because he had this sort of father figure vibe. So he he did attract some good players. And Nova was a much smaller school than Georgetown. It was much more regional than Georgetown. Georgetown's team had swagger and confidence and they were consistent. And, you know, throughout the early 80s, they were just like the team to beat and nobody could beat them. And uh, this particular team this that, that played in 85 was led by Patrick Ewing, who went on to become a very famous basketball player. So they were, you know, intense and, and aggressive on the court. I watched this documentary on them, and one, one player said that the Georgetown players were, were known for playing, quote, street ball. Their intimidation was known as Hoya paranoia because they're Georgetown Hoyas. Now, I will qualify this because this reputation for being aggressive and scary definitely has, like, the taint of racism to it, right? I mean, they were an all-black team. The starting lineup was all-black, and... The coach was black and they were really good, you know, and they, they, you know, so there's probably when people say that there's probably, you know, probably some racism going on there, but bottom line is they were an intimidating team. They were so favored that famously in the parking lot at the tournament, there were guys, there were people selling t-shirts that said Georgetown wins and <laughs> championships. So there's people were like, so sure they were going to win. So Villanova winds up winning. They played what is, considered by most experts to be a perfect game. They made every single shot except one 
they that's a still a record. It's in, it's pretty impressive. So uh, this documentary, by the way, is called Perfect Upset, and you can watch it for free. I think it was made by HBO or something in the 90s. So here's my weird family story about this. My parents are Hoyas. Both my parents went to Georgetown. That's where they met. My mom was one of the first part of the first co-ed classes at Georgetown. She has so many crazy stories about being one of the few women on campus. And so they were there in the, in the early 60s. I mean, they marched on Washington. They saw Dr. King's speech. I mean, they were like in the heart of the early 60s in, in D.C. And, and Georgetown had a good reputation at the time. It just kept getting better. And by the 80s, it was everybody, you know, pretty much everyone knew Georgetown University. Villanova was not that. Villanova was a tiny little regional school outside Philly. It was not well no- as well known as it is today. And my family, at, in 1985, it was spring, and we used to go on a spring skiing trip up to this tiny little town in the eastern Sierras called Mammoth Lakes. It's like a tiny, tiny town. And we were up there at eating pizza at Giovanni's Pizza, which is still there. It's fucking time warp, this town. And my <laughs> parents had a bumper sticker on the back of their wood panel, fake wood panel Buick station wagon, like the Griswolds. And it said, it was a stupid bumper sticker. And it said, I'm a Hoya Saxa, because that's the, the, it's a convoluted story, but that's what the Georgetown Hoyas are. I'm a Hoya Saxa is the bumper sticker. So we come out, <laughs> come out from eating pizza. We're out our giant parkas and everything. And our, my mom's wearing her 1980s, like moon boots that she used to wear up there. <laughs> and someone has completely defaced my parents' car with, Soap. They took soap. You know, you can write in soap on cars. They wrote Wildcats, Villanova wins, like Georgetown sucks. They took keys and they scratched the bumper sticker. (laughs) My dad said, he said, every time he tells a story, he's like, I wasn't even mad. He's like, I just put my hands out and looked around and I said, who is a Wildcats fan in Mammoth Lakes, California? <laughs> like, who is this person? And there's a random bar of soap on them. Yeah. That they can- <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. Like, that's the weirdest thing. Like, little Villanova out in the, in the burbs outside Philly, and there's some fan up in Man- the northern east, the northeastern Sierra mountain range in this tiny little town with, like, five restaurants. <laughs> sees my dad's that's bumper really sticker. Funny. And, like, do faces their car. <laughs> Such a weird, weird story. <laughs> so anyway, that's like our... So my dad t- still tells that fucking story about some weird Villanova in the middle <laughs> in of Lakes, California. Mono County, stretched. California. Middle of nowhere. Who that's decided fine. they were, you know, going to rub it in my parents' face, who, not knowing they were like 45-year-old, like parents parents of four kids at, on vacation. Them. So funny. <laughs> anyway, so that's my, that's my weird... Uh, Villanova beats Georgetown, 1985 story. <laughs> <laughs> but that is a cool documentary. I'm not like, I played basketball in high school. I could watch a basketball game and understand what's going on. I'm not a huge sports fan in general, but I do, you know, I do, I do think that was an entertaining documentary. It's just kind of fun to see. I'll have to ask Jake if you saw it. Yeah, and you can actually watch the game if you want to watch the whole game because it is fun to hear, you know, the absolutely shocked announcer. Yeah, and, right, you know. how they just take over. So... Yeah, so that's that was, and the next thing I have is only is April third. I don't have anything for April second. I can't remember if I talked about this on another um, podcast. Did I ever talk about how I, I relatively recently saw the Sting and ended up loving it? Oh no, you didn't. But I, you know, I haven't seen that in so long, and I, I really don't remember all the details because you know it's like it's not for like kids because it's like confusing. Like it's like a con, right? Isn't it? Like yeah, yeah. and yeah. I never saw it, and I 
it's randomly awesome. Renovate. It was so great. I loved it. So on April 2nd in um, 1974, they it won the Academy Award. But then when I saw that, I was like, man, I can't believe I went my whole life without seeing that movie. And I remember calling my mom like after I watched, I was like, this movie was great. How did I not ever see this? And they're both so beautiful in it. Robert Redford and Paul Newman. It's a, it's a, it was so good. And then it was the guy from um, Jaws, plays the British actor, who's the guy, uh, Quint in Jaws. Is it oh, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Bernard, uh, something, what is his name? Um, Robert Shaw. I was going to say Bernard. Yeah, Robert Shaw. Thank you, Jake. Jake uh -huh. saves the day again. But that movie was so good. Um, so, you know, that, you know, I subscribe to an old people magazine. Did I tell you about this? No. I subscribe to, I call it my old people magazine and it's my grandpa used to subscribe to it. So it was like a nostalgia thing. Like I would, I, I would read it at his house. So when he died, I kept, I signed up for it myself. It's what called reminisce it? and it's all, um, submissions. It's not, there's not, could just send in like a picture and a story. And, and if they like your writing, they will publish it and they will like, and it, they'll publish your name and where, you know, and, why don't um, you do that? I, I know. I don't try? know. I mean, if I could find a cool picture, I guess I will, but it, or just a story like they send out they'll they'll post like next month we're doing this so send us your stories on whatever it'll be like a theme like birthday parties you know and like people send pictures <laughs> and stories but I just read about they were talking they were covering the sting and how it was like pervasive because it was so popular it was everywhere in pop culture like that because that's isn't that Marvin Hamlish's isn't he the did he that he did rearrange the um entertainer the, the oh, song yeah, the song yeah um and that was that was a that that charted that that adaptation of the song The Entertainer, which was the theme from The Sting. That charted. It was so popular. The movie was just so popular. It was so good. I gotta watch it. It's on my list. It's great. Anyway, that's all I have for April second. Okay. So April third, I have eighteen sixty. The Pony Express begins. And the only reason I'm mentioning this is because do you remember that fucking show from the nineties? Was it the late eighties? I, I did remember it. I mean, I never watched it, and even if I did, I would never admit that I watched it. Yeah, I think I loved it. It was like really? a really handsome cast. So it was called The Young Riders. It ran for three seasons, which is kind of decent. Like, it wasn't like a one-season thing. I didn't think thing. it was on that long. 89 to 92, which I noted is longer than the real Pony Express, which only operated for 18 months. But jo Josh Brolin was in that. Yeah. I mean, it was like really good-looking guy, like young, you and know, the, heartthrob um, guys. And the other, um, uh, uh, who was the other young kid that was like a heartthrob? Who was on? What the hell was his name? It was yeah. kind of had young guns vibe to it because they all looked like yes, cowboys. Exactly. Stephen Baldwin, Josh Brolin, Brett Cullen, Travis Fine, Don Franklin. Oh, Melissa Leo. I didn't know that. Ty Miller, Christopher Pettiet, Petty. I'm probably saying that. Greg Rainwater, Yvonne Suhor, Claire Wren, and Anthony Zerb. Yeah, it was dumb, but it was uh, it was kind of a. I thought it was kind of great, but you know, I love that cheesy shit. I loved Rags to Riches too. Have you tried to rewatch that? That is crap. Oh, oh my, my god, yeah. And god. I did try to I, we ended up finding it like on YouTube episodes of that show. Cheesy. Oh, I loved that. I loved it. Oh my god, I wanted to be an orphan so bad. I loved and by the way, it's supposed to be like isn't this supposed to be like the thirties? It's clearly <laughs> like the nine like it, so dumb. But they mixed all the music was yeah. like Oh, it's just so stupid. That's right. It was terrible. It was like pretty bad singing. I don't know. I loved it though. And I, I remember being very excited when it came on. Okay. So the Pony Express only operated for 18 months and it went bankrupt when the Telegraph became available. So just bad timing. But it was at the time the fastest way to send a letter. So um, basically they didn't run. They would run. It would be like they would race their ponies to a stop. And then they would hand it off. It would be like a relay, right? You know, and then they'd hand off the mail and then the guy would go and he'd go, the, the guy that just ran would go to sleep, whatever. Okay. 
So that's all I have for April 3rd. April 4th is um, 1958. Do you have anything? You have the Lana Turner. Yeah. Actress awesome. Lana Turner's 14-year-old daughter stabs Johnny Stompanato to death. So we're we're like too, we're definitely too young to appreciate this event, but this was a huge deal. Like all the papers, like, it would be like one of Angelina Jolie's kids, yeah, her boyfriend or something. Exactly. So Lana Turner was very famous, very beautiful actress. She was famously discovered while working at a soda fountain. She began dating this guy named Johnny Stompanato. He was a violent mobster. They began dating in 1957. And I knew all that. What I didn't know is that he actually tricked her into dating him, which I think is so creepy and like insidious. Ugh. So he lied. He said he, he gave her a, a fake name and a fake like job. Like he's like, oh, I'm a whatever accountant or something boring like that. And she, when she found out that he was lying, this was like, you know, a couple months later, she's like, your name, your name's Johnny Stompanato and you've got mob ties. Like I'm dumping you. He like flipped out and you know manipulated her and basically they spent a year dating and it was like violent and arguing and he was scary and intimidating and so he at one point he came to the set of her movie another time another place with a gun he pulled a gun on the set and this this her co-star was Sean Connery he actually lunged for the gun grabbed it and twisted it in a way that the guy that uh, Stompinato had to let it go. And he fucking ran. Sean Connery just went up a lot in my book. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> he just lunged toward a fucking gun. He is James Bond after all. So on the night that Stoppinato was killed, he was physically assaulting Lana Turner at her home and supposedly had threatened to kill her and her daughter, who was a teenager, and her name was Cheryl Crane. Cheryl, fearing for her mother's life and her own, grabbed a kitchen knife and ran into the room and sta- stabbed Stoppinato. Which Didn't is this kind happen of- with Charlie Theron? Yeah, didn't she like kill her mom's boyfriend? What? Yeah. What? I gotta look this up. Yeah, like in Africa or something. That is cool. Yeah, she's South African, I think, right? Her mom killed her dad. Oh, I thought she did it. No, her mom killed her dad. He threatened both teenage Charlize and her mother while drunk, physically attacking her mother and firing a gun at both of them. Theron's mother retrieved her own handgun, shot back, and killed him. Yeah, I I messed it up. I thought Charlize did it. Whoa. Sorry. Wow, that's crazy. Ah, that's fa- that's amazing. I had no idea. Okay, so the in- incident of Cheryl Crane, teenage Cheryl Crane, s- stabbing a mobster to death was a huge, huge media shit show. Uh, the court agreed that it was self-defense, but weirdly, the public was divided. I find that very odd. Stompanato's brother, you know, came out saying it was Lana who killed him, and Cheryl took the rap so that she wouldn't, so that there wouldn't, you know, nobody would go to prison, you know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know why he thinks that. But So Lana Turner's career did not suffer. And just a year, year later, she starred in the remake of, uh, it's the second adaptation of, the, of Imitation of Life. Such a good movie. It is so good. It is so good. I love the first one with yeah, uh, I definitely saw the Claudette original. Colbert, right? I de- yeah, I definitely saw the original too. But I remember this version, the Lana Turner version, was the one that my mom showed me as a kid. And was, even when I was a kid, it just broke my heart. It was oh. so sad. It is so good. It's such a beautiful story and such a, it's so wonderful. And she was great in it. And um, so she, I guess, you know, it's uh, for listeners who haven't heard of this movie or this, it's a book, it's called Imitation of Life. And it's about two single mothers of teenage girls. And um, one, one mother and daughter is African-American and one mother and daughter is 
white and it's the it's sort of the juxtaposition of their their struggles together and so Lana Turner I apparently identified and the actors who worked on this movie with her said she was really emotional during it. It sounds pretty cool, but Lana Turner's daughter Cheryl Cheryl Crane came out as gay in private during this time and oh, Lana yeah. Turner has supported her from the get-go. Hmm. She, she was always supportive of her. So that's that's interesting. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So the next big April 4th event is of course the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Now that was 19- so Martin Luther King is shot in 1968 while standing outside his motel room in Memphis, Tennessee. He was in Memphis to support a sanitation worker strike. And I mentioned when we covered his birthday that upon the signing of the Civil Rights Act, King had shifted to a new campaign with a focus on economic inequality. So he founded something called the Poor People's Campaign just a few months prior to his murder. Uh, at the moment of the shooting, King was leaning over the balcony railing of the motel, speaking to Reverend Jesse Jackson. A rifle had been found a block from the motel, and the rifle, some fingerprints, and eyewitness testimony pointed to an es- escaped convict, James Earl Ray, whose, whose motive was supposedly racism. He was apprehended a few months later. He, they actually found him at um, Heathrow Airport, so he was definitely on the run. And he was in May 1969, he was found guilty and sentenced to 99 years in prison. Immediately after the, the, the assassination, riots erupted. Well, I shouldn't say riots. Let's call them protests that turn, often turned violent throughout the country in response to King's murder. And people were just like incensed, you know, just awful. So on April 9th in Atlanta, Dr. King was laid to rest and a silent march of over 40,000 people led his coffin, which was carried on a wooden farm cart pulled by two mules, which I think is so sweet and Sad. So interestingly, Coretta Scott King, King's widow, received a telegram from Lee Harvey Oswald's mother. And Mrs. King said that among the many notes she received after her husband's murder, this note touched her the most. That's so weird. Isn't that weird? I'm dying to read that note. So in 1993, though it gets weird. So there was always suspicions about, you know, just like JFK, there was always people who were like, yeah, right, this nobody, like, hillbilly killed King. Like, just happened to, like, perfect timing, perfect aim, perfect, you know. Well, the same thing they would say about, like, Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So in 1993, a man named Lloyd Jowers went on TV, and he claimed that he had conspired with the mafia and the federal government to kill Dr. King, and that James Earl Ray was a scapegoat. He refused to name the person he'd hired to kill King, and inconsistently gave different nicknames and descriptions of the person. The King family believes that King was killed as a result of a conspiracy and that Ray was not guilty. They even urged authorities to give him a new trial. So he's basically the, um, this guy, this Jowers is kind of like the Jack Ruby of the story kind of, right? He's so in 1999, the King family filed a wrongful death civil suit against Jowers and unnamed co-conspirators. Um, the jury of six blacks and six whites decided that King had been the victim of a conspiracy involving the Memphis police and federal agencies, finding Jowers and the unknown co-defendants civilly liable, liable and awarding the family $100. They deliberately chose that small amount because they wanted to show that this was not about money. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, at the press conference after the verdict, Coretta Scott King and her son were asked who they thought was the trigger man. And they said that Jowers had named Lieutenant Earl Clark of the Memphis Police Department. So the motive for killing King is said to be this, you know, movement towards the poor people's campaign. You know, it was no longer about race. It was about um, 
economic inequality. And he was, Dr. King was outspoken against the Vietnam War. And this was pissing off the wrong people and the federal government. The Department of Justice investigated Jower's claims and found that they, they believe he lied and they think his sister lied in order to get money because they both had debts to pay off. So I don't know. It is, you know, that's, it's not going to, it'll probably never be proven conclusively, but just like JFK, it's got uh, lots of conspiracy theories around it. Right. Yeah. Crazy. I just can't imagine, like imagine being that family, like never like really knowing what happened. No. Yeah. Ugh. So April 5th, do you have anything? I have not that much. Um, the one thing I saw for April 5th, which I thought was weird, um, well, not weird, interesting. So the, so the Academy Awards for 1965. So My Fair Lady and Mary Poppins were released the same year. And My Fair Lady, the movie had Audrey Hepburn. Right. Played, you know, Eliza Doolittle. Julie Andrews played Eliza Doolittle on the broad in Broadway. And right. She didn't get the movie role because they wanted someone more famous. So I thought it was interesting that that year at the Academy Awards, she ends up winning Best Actress for Mary Poppins. That's awesome. <laughs> it's like a fuck you to I know. the studios. I know. I wow. Like, that's so weird. Like having that. Um, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, I knew like, the scandal. I knew the scandal of like how the world, like a lot of people were upset that Julie Andrews didn't get the movie part because they associated My Fair Lady with Julie Andrews. So they were, right. people were like upset about, and you know, um, Audrey Hepburn didn't even sing in that. I know she got, and this is the, this is remember how I text you and I said, there was a lot of like West side story, like references. So the girl who did her, Oh, Marnie Nixon. Right. So Marnie Nixon okay. was the singing voice for Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady because I think she recorded the whole thing singing and then they were like, she's not coming to us so we're going to dub her. I don't even think she knew it was happening. Oh, damn. Um, yeah. And then, you mean Audrey uh, Hepburn recorded it singing? Yeah. Oh my God. That's so I'm pretty up. sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. And then, um, but the same Marnie Nixon was the same girl who did the voice for Maria in West Side Story because that oh. wasn't. That wasn't Natalie Wood singing either. Right. Okay. That's yeah. funny. Yeah. So, um, and uh, Julie Andrews was like, well, I can sing and act. <laughs> I can do it all. And I can win an actress, a Best Actress Award. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I love Mary. I'm not actually a big fan of um, of My Fair Lady. I watched it as a kid and then I tried to rewatch it with Marin because, I don't know, I just tried it. It was a musical. I thought maybe she'd like it. But even I was like, yeah, it's kind of boring. Also, it's like kind of mean. I don't know. I, it, like she's not a doll. I, I just. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. Uh-huh. Like, did you read that? Yeah, a yeah. It's a bet. They're taking a bet yeah, on some pool. Did, it's like um, trading places with like uh, <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> Billy, Ray, Billy, Billy Ray Valentine. <laughs> hey, what it is, man? Capricorn. <laughs> Like, <laughs> no, it totally is. Uh, yeah. So they like. I had to read the play. Did you read the play Pygmalion? So it's a play mm-hmm. by George Bernard Shaw called Pygmalion, and it and but it's he's an I think he's an Irish playwright, and it's very like the way that it was taught to us in school. It was very like self aware. Like we knew when we were studying it that it was fucked up. Like there was these two guys, you know, like having this bed of like nature versus nurture, and like you know. Mm-hmm. I feel like the movie is like, this is fun. Like, let's play with lives and like, you know what I mean? Like, whereas the, <laughs> right. the, the play, we kind of, it was, it had funny moments in it, but it was, it was a little darker. So I just huh. got into the movie and then I, and I cannot get enough. Mary Poppins is one of my all time favorite movies. So it's so good. It's so and then good. they did that when they did that, um, with Emily Blunt, my, my kids like that one better. And I'm like, really? this is garbage. Oh yeah. This is 
garbage. I mean, the I, songs aren't even catchy. I'm impressed that you're saying you like Mary Poppins because you don't like the Because I don't like musicals, except for the, what does Daniel say? Except for the 19 exceptions I have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, one of my all-time favorite songs is in, and my favorite Disney song is in, it's uh, Feed the Birds. I love that Oh, song. I love that part. I cry I know, my that, fucking eyes out. Yeah. I know that is such, and that is a sweet part in that movie. But um, and that's Walt Disney's apparently Walt Disney's favorite song. She's so great in that movie, and yeah, good for her. You nailed, you nailed it. You the best actress the same year that My Fair Lady comes out that you didn't get the role for that. Yeah, and it was like talked did, about. Like, the, yeah, that you didn't get it. So ridiculous. But anyway, I just thought that was a fun fact. That's all I have. For that's great. Okay, so I have 1951, April 5th. A Place in the Sun premieres. That's Elizabeth Taylor. That, Shelley movie, Winters, that movie's so depressing. Montgomery Clift. Oh. It's very sad. Did you read that book? I didn't read that book. You might, you might like it. I took this cool class in my senior year of college. It was basically just on literature and movies that, were, that covered like criminal trials. Oh, okay. We had to read this book and then watch the movie, which I thought was fun. So it is Theodore Dreiser wrote the book. It's very good. So... But I thought the movie was really good. I was really sad. Yeah, it was so sad. And he, uh, Montgomery Cliff was so handsome. So handsome. And they did oh a gosh, really I good job of like, face. you don't really hate him. He's like kind of the villain, but you don't really hate him. You kind of feel bad yeah, for him. He's so pathetic in it. He is pathetic. Like, That's a good way to put it. moron. You're so fucking dumb. And Shelly Winters is so pathetic in that too. Like they're all sad. She's like a sad, like poor factory yeah. worker. It's just. Remember she's like waiting for him and her Aww. little shanty waiting for him to come back and oh it's so sad it is very sad but very <sighs> good movie so uh then in april 5th 1995 another sad thing uh kurt cobain kills himself mm. he was i didn't realize this. he was discovered three days after he killed himself so he ba- i didn't realize that when yeah i, saw I didn't that. know that you know we were teen we were like prime time nirvana like age you know, it was a yeah. big deal when this happened. Like I had friends, we were friends who were bawling their eyes out. I mean, it was a big deal. And apparently he had been, his wife and friends got him to go to a, a rehab facility in Los Angeles. And he, he snuck out and he went back to Seattle, but they didn't know that. So Courtney Love had hired a PI and was like, you know, find Kurt. He left rehab. So they tracked him back to Seattle. That's when they found him. He managed to get mm. a gun when he went back to Seattle and he shot himself. He had threatened to kill himself, you know, several times in the past. Mm-hmm. He, he battled drug addiction and depression. The suicide note he left quoted Neil Young, better to burn out than to fade away, which is so sad. Really sad. And how old was he? Like 12. Yeah. And he just had a baby. Yeah. That cute little baby. Fran- with just the cute like- name, Francis Bean. He was only 27. My God. Sad. So the next thing I have is, is April 8th, and that's your time to shine. Twin Peaks, baby. Twin Peaks premieres, oh 1990. Did you watch the show? You know, I never watched a single episode. I don't know how this, like, I never, I guess my friends didn't watch. It never occurred to me. I don't know. So my parents watched it. It was like a big thing when it came out. Mm-hmm. One of the girls I went to grade school with, she had older brothers who were in college, and I think that's how I ended up getting hooked on it because they were watching it. Obsessed. And I, I even rewatched it. I rewatched it as an adult because you can get it on like Netflix. I think you can rent it. So weird and quirky. Everything about it from the soundtrack to the characters to the scenery, the mystery. It's just so great. And then I was, we were young when that came yeah. out. But I remember getting like, so there were two seasons 
two seasons, the first season's the best. So the whole premise is of the, the murder of a like a the high school, like popular high school girl. Mm-hmm. Um, that she's found murdered, uh, washed up on the beach, wrapped up in plastic and murdered. So the FBI agent comes in, he's involved, and it's just how then he's the main character, and it's just how he like gets absorbed in this small inbred town where everyone's in everybody's business and it's the whole thing was who killed Laura Palmer. Okay. And, and you just, are just, who are all the suspects? And it was great. And I think they, and then like the network pressured them to kind of come to like, you had to finally tell us who did it because the public's going crazy. So they ended up telling you who did it in the set, the middle of the second season. Oh, okay. And then it kind of went off the rails after that. Then it got really supernatural sci-fi. Oh, I mean, weird. it's David Lynch. So it's yeah, weird. Yeah. Like, and it always had like this weird, like supernatural kind of thing going on. But then, into the second season it was just crazy freaking loved it so and, um, would you say it still holds up like would you recommend people to watch it today i think so mm-hmm. okay i think so i mean it's i don't know if like they so they brought it back recently they brought it back they did like an, on showtime they did another series and they brought like a lot of the characters back and i didn't like it it was too weird it's oh. just too weird but, uh, i can't even explain how it is other worlds and oh. doppelgangers oh and, weird I could I was really excited for it when it came back and then I couldn't get into it. Damn. But I have rewatched the original. It's 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 freaking weird and creepy and scary. Like there are scenes from that that still freak me out. Like this one scene where Laura Palmer's mom is like kind of like a psychic kind of weird. She's like the town loon and she knows her daughter was murdered. She and she's seeing the killer. Like she's vis- having visions of her daughter's killer. Oh, and there's weird. a scene where she's in her living room and this she's seeing this man in her living room and no one else can see him. And it's horrifying. Ugh. And then there was, I remember they published uh, Laura Palmer's secret diary, and that thing was fucking filthy. So I was oh, like awesome. you know, 13 <laughs> reading, and it was all like sex and I was like, what am I? I remember hiding it in my bedroom under my mattress because I knew my mom would kill me if she knew I was reading it. <laughs> it was so hey, good but i think this is being a listener it. so cats out of the bird now. <laughs> yeah moms know a lot more than you think they do but i had the soundtrack i love it and the soundtrack is so weird and um dark everything about it was dark but no it's worth watching and if it's funny too because a lot of it is the humor the just the quirky characters like there's a woman who walks around the town and she just holds a log and she talks to her log like, oh that's my like god it's so weird it's, it is weird. It's funny. I would say watch it. You and Daniel should just at least give it a shot. Okay, I'll check First it out. season at least. But like, I don't know. Did you ever see like Blue Velvet and stuff? I like, can't. I, well, I can't. I tried to watch his movies and they're too weird. No, and I don't love. I didn't love. I, I mean, I liked. Um, what was the one with Naomi Watts? Mulholland Drive. Mulholland Drive. Yeah. And that was weird too. Yeah, his shit's weird. And I remember tuning into that, and everyone had their theories about who it was. It was a big freaking deal. That's cool. People, I remember one of my friend's brothers had this shirt. It said like "Who killed Laura?" Oh, Palmer. that's cool. Like, it was a big thing. It was like "Who shot Jr." It was yeah, like the yeah, same yeah. Thing. Okay, so jumping to the next day, April 9th, nineteen sixty-two, Rita Moreno becomes the first Latina to win an Oscar, and that's where you brought. Oh, you, that was where I wanted yeah. to say about West Side Story yeah. and Twin Peaks. Two of the character, two of the actors in Twin Peaks what were in west side really? story the movie so the uh tony in west side story he's one of the main characters who plays ben horn in twin peaks and then laura palmer's psychiatrist was played by the leader of the jets in west side story oh. and it was like the, the the only the second time they've ever worked together was when they oh that's so weird it is weird tamlin russ tamlin okay so he was in twin peaks that's as a well. weird so coincidence it is weird 
really West West Side Story came up a lot too much in this uh, episode of our podcast. And so she won Best Supporting for West Side Story. And then, and she's one of those winners of the EGO, whatever. I'm not going to. EGOT or whatever, however they say it. 1972, she was part of the main cast of The Electric Company and won a Grammy for that show's children's album. 1975, she won a Tony for her performance in The Ritz. And she won two Emmys, in one in 77 for being on The Muppet Show and one in 78 for The Rockford Files. I think we talked about this. I did watch The Electric Company. You said you did not, right? Mm -mm. Yeah, I didn't watch it. And I completely forgot she was in the she was in it so she needs to get an award on her aging secrets because that woman is a freaking nature yeah she looks great so yeah so she's awesome oscar tony emmy grammy two two emmys so very rare 1973 april 9th 1973 paper moon the movie paper moon premieres this is one of my all-time favorite movies i think it is a perfect film i love it so much it's so funny that you've seen it right yeah, definitely. Oh yeah, God. definitely. I it. love it so much. Yeah, I remember I was really little when I first saw it and I couldn't. Did you? I don't. This ever happened to you when you're a kid when you're watching a movie that's set in a different time period and you can't, you're thinking that it was really filmed back then yeah. and you're realizing that it's not. Like I couldn't. I And then when I realized that these people, like, I guess I saw like Ryan O'Neill in another movie and I couldn't compute, like, yeah. wait a second, he could be like 100 if he was just in this other movie. But. And they did a very no, good job movie. with the period set and everything. Like it, they kind of nailed it and it's black and white. Uh-huh. It's shot in black and white. So no, I love that movie. It was great. My favorite line. It, so there for our listeners, absolutely immediately watch Paper Moon. It's, it takes place in the thirties. Tatum O'Neill stars with her dad. She's a little girl in it and they are running a con game. And my favorite line in it is when he says to her, I've got scruples. Do you know what that is? And she goes, no, I don't know what that is. But if you got it, it probably belongs to somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she was amazing in it. Oh, and she is cute oh, as a so bug's good. ear she's in so it. so damn cute. Oh, my God. Adorable. And she's she won Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. She is the youngest person ever to win a competitive Oscar, which I, I guess I didn't realize that. She was 11. She was 11. Okay, so she was like 10 when they filmed it probably, right? So 10 or 11, because Anna Paquin was like the next youngest. Right. She won for, she the, won for piano. the piano, which is another excellent movie. Paper Moon is based on the 1971 novel Addie Prey by Joe David Brown. I wanted to ask if you read that since you're a reading machine. Mm-mm. I didn't read it. Anyway, it's a great movie. I have a Paper Moon photo, by the way. My grandma, my mom's mom, and her sister sitting on a Paper Moon. It is so Aww. cute. I have to post it. It's so cute. Yeah, definitely. She's holding, the littlest one is holding the nose of the moon. It's like the cutest thing ever. It's so Aww. cute. So anyway, that's a that's one of my favorite movies, 1973. Yeah, it's just one of the, it's like a movie where you, it's like you see a little girl smoking a cigarette yeah. and it's so charming. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing cuter. It's <laughs> so funny. And like the the girl that, that that's like the maid to um Oh yeah Madeline Kahn's maid in it who's so fucking she's funny. She's a great character too. Oh she's so good. Oh she's so funny. She I like when she's like as an afterthought she's she looks back at to at the little girl and she goes, I once tried to push her out of a window in Little Rock. <laughs> so funny. She's so funny in it. Oh, amazing. It's a great movie. Okay. April 10th, 1834. A fire at the LaLaurie mansion reveals Ugh. a torture chamber. So Lauren and I went to New Orleans. We met there. It was after I moved back to LA. 
and we had a crazy weekend there. And we took a ghost tour, and I'm pretty sure the ghost tour took us by the La Lorie Mansion, mm-hmm. which is not the actual mansion because it burned down. So they it was rebuilt, but it was very similar looking, same spot. So anyway, Madame Delphine LaLaurie was born in Spanish New Orleans in 1787, and her husband, Dr. Leonard LaLaurie, were prominent members of New Orleans society. The LaLauries were known to treat their enslaved people poorly. <laughs> That's to put it mildly. I mean, mildly. <laughs> they had been cited in the past. Apparently, it was illegal to mistreat your slaves. I mean, the irony in there is not, you know, it's, it's bizarre. So on the night of April 10th, 1834, the LaLauries cook an enslaved woman in her 70s attempted to kill herself by starting a fire in the kitchen. The fire spread rapidly, and when the LaLauries refused to turn over the keys to the locked slave quarters of the mansion, the fire brigade and local bystanders broke down the door, and they found a literal torture chamber of enslaved people in the upper rooms of the mansion. Some of the people were missing lint. Oh, um, sorry. Uh, I, um, oh, Daniel said not to say trigger warning. He said some other term. But anyway, just to warn warn listeners, uh, some of the people were missing limbs. Others were tied in contorted positions. Some were hung from... Really, you could not have picked a worse time to bring your squeak toy out. Like, seriously. So um, some of them were hanging from the wall. Then the cook who'd started the fire later told authorities that she was trying to kill herself to avoid punishment because... The people taken to the uppermost rooms of the house, quote, never came back. So within hours of this gruesome discovery, word spread throughout the area and an angry mob formed. So even in a Spanish colony where slavery was legal and normal, this that's how fucked up this was. I mean, that's how fucked up what she did was. Like, people, racist people. Well, it was a torture chamber. Yeah, racist people were pissed that she did. I mean, it that's how bad it was. The mob destroyed the remaining, the, you know, what was left of the Lillory mansion was destroyed by this mob. And the Lillories fled New Orleans. They, it's believed that they escaped to Paris. So that's it. That's this bizarre, fucked up story of this Delphine Lillory psychopath and her psychopath husband torturing enslaved people. And they they taught, they used her that character in um, American Horror Story, one of the seasons, the five hundred seasons they made of that show. Yeah, somebody mentioned that to me. Yeah, it was Kathy Beats. Oh, she's awesome. But yeah, that's so twisted and gross. It's one of those things. Like I had I had been to New Orleans before you, and I had taken the tour, and I heard the story, and I was like, "This is but how is this not more famous? It's horrifying." It's just crazy. Like you hear these stories about. I mean, the whole world is just filled with sick horrible people that do horrible things to other people. I sent this article to my brother and sister today. Did you see this, this um, couple that got arrested? These parents are charged with the murder of their, of the Louisiana woman who was fused into her couch. Oh, they had this daughter. The couple are 64 years old. So they face second degree murder charges in the horrific January 3rd death of their daughter, who was 36, who weighed less than 100 pounds when she was found on a ratty couch covered in urine and feces. She may have sat in her own filth for about 12 fucking years. She was found covered in maggots and sores and melted into a hole into the fucking couch. Oh, my God. So they're saying she had like autism. She had like severe autism, this poor girl. And this fucking family. And then you saw this couple. They look like fucking normal people. These don't look like trash bag people. These are look like a normal couple. And they're fucking out on bond. And I was like, how are these people not shot as soon as they're walking out of the courthouse? Like, how are the or at the jailhouse? Like, how are these people walking around that you tortured your own daughter into and the picture they have a picture of the damn couch? Oh man. 
It's so gross. I just, I'm grossed. It's so gross. I hate people. That's keeping with anyway. our theme of Louisiana torture. Yeah. Oh, it's anyway, terrible. Me sorry. too. Okay. Maybe slightly more uplifting, but April 10th, 1866, the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals is founded by Henry Berg in New York City. He's a personal hero of mine. So I just want to do a really quick mention about what he did. So Henry Berg had visited the Royal SPCA in 1865 which was the first animal welfare organization in the world. And I mentioned that when we talked about the brown dog riots. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to open a charter organization in the U.S. that not only raised money for animal welfare, but had the power to arrest. So the original inspiration for, was for protection specifically of carriage and workhorses, which were treated abysmally, you know. Um, this, in fact, the seal of the organization is an angel shielding a carriage horse from being struck by his driver. And in 1867, the ASPCA began operating the country's first horse ambulance. So I got this from history.com. Berg's impassioned accounts of the horrors inflicted on animals convinced the the New York State Legislature to pass the charter incorporating the ASPCA on April 10, 1866. Nine days later, the first effective anti-cruelty law in the United States was passed, allowing the ASPCA to investigate complaints of animal cruelty and to make arrests. So he did not fuck around. He was raiding dogfighting, cockfighting rings. There was something called rat baiting. This is a thing. It's disgusting. It's like these weirdos put rats in a pen and then they let a dog loose and they like take bets on if, you know, like it just, it's so gross. People are so gross. So they, he literally conducted, was there like in, in conducting raids on these places so common, he was a prominent activist in what's called humane reforms, of the, which were common in the day, so including those affecting children. So he wasn't just involved in animals. So he was one of the first vice presidents of the New York Society for the Prevent- Prevention of Cruelty to Children, which was founded in 1874, modeled after the AS- ASPCA. And Berg was instrumental in the case of Mary Ellen McCormick. So I won't go into details because it's that is actually like a pretty disturbing case, but she was a horribly abused nine-year-old who would kind of became the poster child because her case set a precedent that established all these child abuse laws. Children were kind of seen as property until this point. So this was a pretty big deal as far as like advancement of humane legislation. So, and I just have this one last quote. As the pioneer and innovator of the humane movement, the ASPCA quickly became the model for more than 25 other humane organizations in the United States and Canada. And by the time Berg died in 1888, 37 of the 38 states in the union had passed anti-cruelty laws. And I said, I, I know I say this all the time, but how is there not a movie about this guy? Very interesting. So April 11th is another movie premiere. I guess a lot of movies come out in the spring. 1955, Marty. Did you see Marty? I did see Marty. I saw Marty once. I love that movie. It is a cute movie. And I think I watched it because of you. I think it was on a list of something, some kind of list. And I, I Yeah, remember, we were chipping away at it or something. Yeah, I remember watching. I think I rented that one. So it's weirdly like it's really cute. the marketing seems like it's like a happy-go-lucky like Marty and it's actually kind of sad. I mean, it's very mm-hmm. sweet. It's a love story and it's very sweet, but it's also pretty sad. I mean, it's, you know, it's about a man and a woman who are kind of plain and they're getting older and they're single and they're socially awkward and they find they fall in love and it's very sweet. But so it it was nominated for eight Oscars and won four, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay, and Best Actor for Ernest Borgnine. His co-star, his leading lady, was Betsy Blair. 
And I just thought she sounded kind of cool. She was nominated for Best Actress, didn't win. She had a really interesting life. She was married to Gene Kelly from 1941 to 1957. And she was blacklisted in Hollywood in the early 50s after being investigated by the House Un-American Activities Committee. Yeah, I didn't know that. That fun bunch. Um, She was a leftist and was active in leftist organizations, including the NAACP, which they found unacceptable. So anyway, I love that movie. Another great movie premiered around this time. Another movie premiere, just to mention, like, because it's so famous, and I tried to watch it, and I couldn't get through it because it was such crappy quality, but 1932, April 12th, Grand Hotel premieres starring Greta Garbo. Never, never saw Never it. seen that? It's, fa- it's famous, like, it's stacked. It's Greta Garbo, Joan Crawford, two Barrymores are in it. You know, it was like, it won the Best Picture Oscar, and it's to date the only film to have won Best Picture and not be nominated in any other category, which is kind of a random... Huh. And it's famous because Greta Garbo and her like low, thick Swedish accent, she, she says like a hundred times in the movie, I want to be alone. So that's, that's like the main reason it's famous. I tried to watch it, but it's just like, it's so like grainy. And I mean, maybe I should watch like a- um, Doesn't hold up. Or maybe, you know, maybe the quality, because sometimes the quality's crap. I'm donezo, you know, I can't, I can't, it's too distracting. But It's got Joan Crawford in it. I'm not going to rush out to see that one. So I don't really have anything until- this weird April 14th tidbit. Did you see that? 1969, April 14th, the first Oscar tie in a major acting category. Oh, yeah. I never knew about this. I had no idea. Barbara Streisand and Katherine Hepburn both won for Best Actress in 1969. Streisand won for Funny Girl. Hepburn won for The Lion in Winter. Hepburn didn't expect to win, so she didn't go. And um, this was an exact tie. Literally, they both got the same number of votes. And there was another tie, but it it was not exact because I guess the rules had been changed. And in 1932, Wallace Beery got one less vote than Frederick March, but the rules at the time stated that a tie constituted getting within three votes of each other, which just seems lame. Like, uh, anyway, so Hepburn and Streisand had the exact same number of votes. Uh, anyway, you want to go to the rec room? I kind of got a lot for the rec room, so I'll try to talk fast. Uh, rec room for me. Rec room for me. Well, you just said uh, one. You said one earlier. You reminded me of the Dead Zone, Stephen King yes. book Dead Zone, because your husband read it, and I couldn't remember if I ever read it. Like I knew about it because it was a movie with Christopher Walken and Martin Sheen, and I was like, I don't think I read this one, so I ordered it, inhaled it, <laughs> so good, and I'm so glad that I got to read it. So I did that, and then we started watching Gaslit on stars have you seen that no. with Jul- so it's a series julia roberts and sean penn are in it hmm. amazing makeup on sean penn and they're playing john and margaret mitchell so it's the whole uh watergate you know oh um, yeah he was what was he the attorney general and she was his loudmouth wife who would go on oh. to all the talk shows and spill all the secrets and call reporters in the middle of the night and give them all the gossip crazy julia roberts is great in it so far so there's only been two episodes so we started watching that because it's uh, in real time. So it's not like we're like binging it. Oh, yeah. It's weird. It's on stars. Like my one friend was saying the other night, she was like, who the hell has stars? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously. I was like, we do. We had did this subscription through Amazon because they have a lot of That's kid right. on yeah. stars. Julia Roberts is like an actress who I don't, I never really loved because I feel like she's one of those people that every time I'm watching her, I'm just aware of watching Julia Roberts. Yes. Like I feel that way about Denzel Washington. I feel that way about Brad Pitt. Agreed. But as she's gotten older, I think she's just great. Yeah, she's kind of honed her skills really well, I think. Yeah. Like, and I started really liking her 
Did you see her on in that series on Amazon called Homecoming? Yes. I actually listened to that. That first was an audio. It was a podcast series. She was so she was great. Good in that. Yeah. I thought she was so good in that. So so and she's really good at this role. Am I say is that her name, Margaret Mitchell? Martha. I'm saying Martha. Oh, because um That's Martha yeah. Mitchell. And then I started watching the we started watching the flight attendant. Oh yeah. Did HBO. you did you watch the first season or the second season? We're starting the first season. Oh, Daniel and I really liked it. Oh, we had some complaints, but so we're only a couple episodes in. It's pretty good. It's you I know, love her. I, she's I, great. I can't imagine how this she's I don't even know how it's getting into a second season because it's so fucked so far. I know. Like, well, you'll see. At the end you'll kind of see where it could go, but yeah. Um, so we started watching that. I think that's it. Okay, I'll breeze through mine. Okay, so we we start we watched and loved, and you should watch it because I think you will really like it. Gilded Age. Oh, my sister said she started watching that, and she. It took us a while to get into it. That's what I think. She said she when she first started, she's like, meh. It's not as engrossing as Downton Abbey. It's the same guy, Julian Fellow. Which I just rewatched the entire thing of Downton Abbey. I just finished that last week. So Gilded Age is really good. It's you know set in America. It's the same similar like setup, but it's more like new money versus old money. There's also a race component because it's America. It took us a while. Like I didn't like love it until like the fourth episode. And I don't think that happened with Downton. I think I was like in it to win it from the get-go. Oh, totally. Uh-huh. Gilded Age is more, it took me a while to get like engrossed. So I'd be curious to hear if Lee liked it like further on down the line. Christine Baranski is awesome in it. She's like this. She's just so great. She's just great. She's kind of like the Dowager Countess and she's that counterpart. Okay. She's so good at it. And Cynthia Nixon is her sister, like spinster sister. And she's, uh, I think she's great in everything. Is this the show that has Meryl Streep's daughter in it? Yes. Okay. I, I think it's really good. I think you'd like it, but give it a try. So then we were also, that's HBO Max. Then we're watching Our Flag Means Death, also on HBO. It's great. It's a comedy period pirate. <laughs> what? And it's so, it's Taika Waititi. So it's got that like funny, quirky oh, he's funny. New Zealand kind of thing. And it's also turns out to be like a love story. And it is so sweet and like silly. It's just very sweet. It's very good. Hmm, okay. And then we watched the second season of Russian Doll, which is. Oh, I haven't. Yeah, I want to watch that. I haven't gotten into that yet. The first season, I, we loved it. And fucking. The second season looks like it's crazy. It is crazy. And I honestly am surprised at how the good reviews that the second season is getting because I don't like it nearly as much as the first season. It was fine, but it was like a bit of a slog. I, I was kind of like kind of done. Isn't the second one like kind of like time travel? It's t- yeah, it's time travel is like the. Hmm. She's she's a little over the top. To, you know, she's kind of got this Don Rickles like meets she's woody allen she's like woody allen don rickles marge simpson like yeah i sometimes i think she's it's too over much, the top but, uh, yeah and it's more so in the second season i love that she's her comeback though i'm rooting for her like do you remember that mm-hmm. fucking article from jane magazine written by michael rapaport where he's like uh natasha lyon is squatting in my apartment in new york city like doing drugs and like no she was great she went she spiraled out of like she's our age she was in like she was like a teen actor, and then she like yeah. lost it, and she got and like she addicted. Fell off the grid. Yeah, and she had like, j- like got really sick from like her addiction and just had health problems and stuff. And I thought, I mean, I thought she wasn't gonna make it, and then she out of nowhere she's back. And remember, she was in uh, Orange Is the New Black. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's when she kind of came back. Yeah, uh-huh. I was shocked, and I was like, awesome, like very happy. You and Robert Downey Jr. We thought you were gonna die. We're glad you're back. <laughs> I mean, Pete, the yar listeners who aren't a hundred, like Robert Downey Jr was shouldn't be here a shit show. he is so lucky 
so lucky. I mean, the guy was just basically like he was. Didn't he like break into someone's house? Yeah, he and, committed like, like felony. I mean, he was cr- and he went to prison, and um, mm. you know, he he's a comeback kid. Good for him. Anyway, so that's on Netflix. And then we started watching this show, so charming. You can this is free, like in a lot of places. It's called Cheap Irish Homes. It's an Irish show, like reality show. Fucking love Ireland. This woman takes young, like first home buyers to buy like a hovel <laughs> in like rural Ireland, like shacks and farmhouses that are like need a lot of DIY. It is so charming. Our favorite thing is to like in the background, they'll show like a shot of like a, a living room. Our favorite thing is to spot the JFK portraits on the wall oh. <laughs> and the Pope, there's portraits <laughs> of the Pope and like, right. and then um, religious like, uh, like icons, like the like Virgin Mary will be like on the mantle. And there was, there was this thing on the wall in, um, in someone's bedroom. It was like cross with like a cup under it. And Daniel's like, what was that? He like rewinded. He's like, what is that? I was like, oh, that's for holy water. And I had one, oh, right, I had yeah. one by my door. <laughs> it's like required in weird Catholic ho- households. So it's just so charming and sweet. It's really like fun. And then we started watching this other show. We watched a few episodes and it got a little weird, but there's this show called Britain's Hidden, Hidden Villages. And we're like, oh yes, I'm all in. We love like British villages and travel shows and we love British stuff and whatever. And we're watching it. Not not exaggerating. The first episode, she goes to this town, this little village. And there, so she talks about what the town's history, whatever, and what it's like. And then she starts talking about like, because you know, all these little towns have these weird like folk traditions, right? Where they wear weird shit and they do, do weird things, okay? So she starts talking about this tradition. It's got some weird name. And they're wearing these costumes. And Daniel's like, what? What's, are they, are those guns? They're like carrying guns. They're fucking hunting an Irishman. <laughs> they're reenacting. They're reenacting a hunt of an Irishman. I was like, you see, you see what my people had to go through. They, apparently, where is this? What, cha- what cha- channel is this on? It was. It's again. It's free. Oh, it was on Amazon Prime. You can get it on Amazon Prime. Britain's hidden, hidden villages. What? So basically, and she's talking about it like it's this charming little like folky like <laughs> tradition. They like the townspeople come together. It <laughs> is so dark. Humans. This okay. So basically, some guy from County Tyrone, Ireland who was a landowner and favored Irish independence. This was like the 1600s. You know, the British have colonized and like they're seizing land all over Ireland. He favors independence. They, they go after him. He crosses the, the water and he lands in this fucking village and the locals find out about it and they hunt him down through the woods and they kill him and they reenact this shit every year and they <laughs> tick. Take his, shoot his effigy, fake shoot his effigy with like blanks, and then they throw it in the ocean, and the children of the village gather around and throw beach rocks at his corpse to make sure he's dead. I was like, Oh, that's precious. Can you imagine? The United, this would never happen in the United States. I mean, we have, that is is so dark and so fucked up. That's really, really weird. Oh my God. Hunting an Irishman every year. Yay. Anyway, Jesus. so funny. And then you guys stumble onto the weirdest shows. I don't, I don't even know how we found this. So weird. Did you guys see the on Netflix? The um, we watched two episodes. I had the kids watch it old enough that. Oh, um, no, we I, it's on our list. Japanese so with funny. show where they send like two year olds to the store. Yeah, Daniel and I were like kids born in the 70s are like, yeah, well, <laughs> big whoop. Yeah, 
good to go buy my mom smokes once a, once a week or whatever. But after I, I mean, Marin and Eileen watch it and they were like cracking up because it was like, like literally like a three-year-old. So funny. They're so making cute Making them too. walk and they give him a task. Like the first episode, they give him a task. He's going to get like three things. He's going to get like curry, flowers. A stick of butter, a container of milk. And yeah. And a loaf of milk. <laughs> and then bread or something. And he has to walk there on his own. But you can see, like, there's camera people. Like, they're not. Just yeah, there's like- camera people all around, and they're dressed like you know, regular people, kind of disguised. And he's so fucking cute. And he gets, he walks there on his own, and then he's in the store, and you can see he's like repeating what he has to get. And then he grabs the two things, and he doesn't get the curry, and he leaves. And he's walking back home, and he goes, "Oh, I forgot the curry." and it's all dubbed and he or it's all subtitles and he turns around oh no he goes back to get it and the second one was a little they told the little boy to make lemonade to bring it back to like the field to give to his grandparents it took that kid fucking three hours (laughs) he was like so distracted he left the house and was like running around chasing the dog outside with a net and then finally, and he lied. His mom called him. She's like, are you working on the juice? And he's like, yeah, it's already done. And no, <laughs> not even, even start it. And then another little girl gave the heat. They gave her like three tasks. She had to walk, put a little hat on like this little statue that they worship. And then she had to walk and give a gift to the mom's friend. And then she had to go to, oh, she had to go to a farm and get like the cauliflower and a carrot. And they had the cauliflower and the carrot already pulled out for her, like on a barrel. Yeah. But she didn't see it. So she's trying to rip the cauliflower out of the ground. <laughs> and it's like bigger than her. And she, it's starting to get dark. And she's oh, like, no. oh, my mom's going to kill me. And she's like four years old. And then she starts like twisting it to try to get it out. She can't rip it out from the root. <laughs> and she's like sweating. She's working on this thing for like 45 minutes. Finally gets it out. And she's like dragging this big thing of cauliflower home. Oh, my God. They're so cute. So and I said cute. to Marin, I was like, you have to go to Wawa and get us some eggs. Oh, my God. She was like, I can't go to Wawa. <laughs> I was like, these kids are younger than you. They could totally go walk yeah. to Wawa and get some eggs. I totally Ugh. did that. I mean, I we had like a convenience store. We had a corner market down the street. Yeah. We'd walk down there. And, you know, it sounds horrifying to young people, but it wasn't like I just abruptly did that one day. Like I had been going with my, you know, sibling, older siblings with my parents, my friend's parents with groups of friends. So me going alone by the age of five was like, I'd already done it a hundred times. Right. And Mary was like, I wouldn't know how to get there. And I was like, you're full of soup. I was like, when we do the same drive to my mom's from our house every day, Eileen, Eileen always goes like, we'll be, in, she'll be in the backseat of the car and she'll be like, turn here. Now you got to turn here. Oh, I was like, you guys pretty know good. exactly where you are. It's a five minute drive. You could totally walk there. I was like, and you're going to try it tomorrow. She's like, I'm not oh. doing it tomorrow. <laughs> That's cute. They're so cute. That's funny. And the moms are like freaking out, waiting to see if they can do it, come back and uh, are successful. That's cute. So cute. Anywho. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to disappoint you because Danielle and I watched Nightmare Alley and we both really liked it. What? I know. You're kidding me. I know. I mean, I get why you don't like it. Also, you know, I mean, noir is kind of weird and whatever but did you even like him in it no you know i do think that the casting could have been but i don't i don't see him that way like i thought he i i hated him in that um stars born i i I don't get he was just Uh, he was impersonating chris christopherson it was so weird yeah but i mean i just kind of liked the story a lot i thought the story was really cool and um yeah i thought i don't know i get it's the pace wasn't like super fast but uh, that was pretty good sorry (laughs) 
Well, I mean, it was up for best picture, so people liked it. It was filmed beautiful. I thought the shot oh, like, it was beautiful yeah, the way it was shot, beautiful. like this cinematography or whatever. Like it, it was a really neat looking movie, but I don't know. I couldn't fucking take him seriously. That was a best selling book too, by the way. And that and and I didn't know what it was about. I was completely I went in completely blind. I just knew it was noir. So I was like, mm. oh, this is interesting. Weird. So weird. Ugh. All right. Lauren's got to go to bed. Yes. That's all we got. Thank you for listening. Friendly reminder to rate, review, subscribe. We'd really appreciate it. Our email, our email is oldschoolthepodcast at gmail. Feel free to send suggestions, feedback, and follow us on Instagram, oldschoolthepodcast, and we will see you in a few weeks. You have a good rest of your week. Okay. You too. Good weekend, and I uh, will uh, talk to you soon. Okay. Good night.